Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our past may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. If you find value and inspiration from the conversation shared today and you want to support, the easiest way to do so is by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, or sharing with the people that you love. It would mean the world to me for others who have access to this powerful content, so thank you so much in advance. Also, make sure to stay till the end of today's episode as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health. All right, so let's dive in. For decades, feminine traits have been seen as a sign of weakness, qualities like intuition, surrender, emotionality, and sensitivity. But today, we are starting to see the importance of not only having this critical conversation about why this story needs to shift, but also why we need to fully embrace these qualities and do the inner work to understand why we might hide behind our uniqueness and who we truly are. And there's no one who understands this more than Amy Stanton, a dear friend of mine. Amy is the founder of Stanton & Company, a PR and marketing firm with a roster of philosophy-driven brands, including exceptional athletes, lifestyle experts, and brands in the healthy, active living space. Before founding Stanton & Company, Amy served as the first-ever CMO for Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia and was the head of marketing and communications for New York City 2012 New York's Olympic bid, where she developed and executed both the local and international campaigns for this first-ever endeavor. Further, Amy is the co-author of The Feminine Revolution. And so this episode is for anyone who's ever been told that they're too sensitive, too emotional, or too vulnerable, especially in the workplace. And so I'm going to ask Amy to share some powerful mindset shifts to help us accept and embrace our full range of feminine gifts. Also, how to continue to manage this challenging time with grace and how to reclaim many parts of ourselves that we may have hidden for so many years so that we can live a happier, healthier life. And so I'm so excited to have this conversation with Amy today. Welcome, Amy, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for making the time specifically with everything you're currently going through (laughs) to be here with us today. Thank you for having me. I've been so excited about this conversation. Me too. I've been so grateful to you and for you for so many reasons. First, our friendship, of course. Second, for the just the incredible work that you do in the world. And third, because you've been such an instrumental 
piece in my husband's evolution in terms of his brands and his partnerships and his companies and really helping from the PR side with building out those brands and those companies. And it's been really incredible to see the impact because I get to see all the behind the scenes where, I'm, where Greg's telling me about all the things you guys are doing and, and helping him get all of his companies out on a bigger scale to create a healthier and and happier planet. So I'm excited to just have this conversation. I remember when we first met in Tulum, I I was like, if I ever quit my job and I never want to do a personal brand again, I'm going to reach out and ask you if I can come work for you. (laughs) Wow. Because I was just so intrigued by what you were up to. And I was like, that is the most incredible job getting to a health and wellness company. Well, thank you. I mean, first of all, it's funny you remember that first meeting as well as I do. And I, we could all just click our heels three times and end up into Loom right now. Wouldn't that be nice? But yeah, I mean, I, you've always been deep in the health and wellness space personally and professionally. You been doing so many interesting things. So I'm not surprised. First of all, if my job sounds glamorous, that's definitely sounds better than it is. But, but I appreciate the compliment and you can work, we can work together anytime you'd like. (laughs) We'll we'll definitely be working together for my book and my launch for that. So for those that don't specifically know about your company, Staten & Company, can you just share a little bit about what led you to create this company? What led you to start doing this marketing and PR work and specifically specifically helping women, you know, come out into the world in terms of really representing and showing up for them and then writing this book about femininity. Absolutely. Well, my background is in marketing. I started in advertising and then I ran the marketing and PR for New York's Olympic bid for 2012, which we sadly lost to London, but it was an incredible experience. And then from there, I went on to be the first ever CMO of Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia which was also an amazing experience. But the truth is I'd always wanted to start my own business and everyone in my family is an entrepreneur. And I grew up feeling like anything was possible. And I knew, well, I never knew what the business would be that I would eventually start my own. So I had this idea, which stemmed really from my work during the Olympic bid around female athletes and women's sports. And I wanted to build a mini IMG, but focused on the women's side because This is now back 14 years ago, and our main role models were reality stars. (laughs) And I felt like there was an opportunity to help build more positive female role models. And Mm -hmm. these athletes we'd worked with were exceptional in every way. And Olympic athletes are unique in a lot of ways, but they really only have their moment to shine during and then the lead up to and possibly after the Olympics if they win a medal. So they really are in it because they are passionate about their sport and they are pursuing a dream. And that was so inspiring to me. And I kept thinking, well, if I'm super inspired by these women, then other people will be too. So I took this leap. I started with a business partner and we started this agency and the representation took off, which was a surprise to me because I never had any desire to be a, any type of agent. Cause I grew up in LA a little scared about that <laughs> industry. And I, I suddenly was a sports agent and I was representing Olympic athletes, action sports athletes. And basically the first time I ever 
saw a snowboard contest was after I was already representing one of the best snowboarders in the world. So there were a lot of these very unexpected moments, but what was exciting about it is I really was working with these exceptional human beings and I was helping them build their personal brands and I was helping them break down some of the barriers, not just in women's sports, but more broadly in sports. Cause I was coming at it from a totally unique perspective. So after the first couple of years of this, suddenly I was a sports agent. The other parts of the business doing the things I actually thought I knew how to do weren't really coming to fruition and I was ready for a change. So I moved back from New York to Los Angeles, which is where I'm from originally. And the business, and I split up with my business partner and the business quickly evolved to be more focused on what I would call healthy, active living. So suddenly we were representing an organic snack bar and a vegan beauty brand and an eco water bottle and a number of brands in the health and wellness space. I would describe them as philosophy driven. So Mm. not only are they selling great products, but they have a bigger vision and mission and desire to change the world in a positive way. Um, So yes, I mean, over time, things evolved. And suddenly we were in addition to working with brands, we're still and still do represent a number of incredible female athletes. And I really do love that part of our work. And I'm proud to be a sports agent, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I think it's a great example of how things just twist and turn and unfold in ways we could never imagine. Um, but the bulk of the business is now public relations. And what's funny about that is I was really never a public relations person. I wasn't a quote unquote publicist, but PR is now such a brand builder and it's such a driver mm-hmm. for building brands in a way that it is, has changed remarkably because in the olden days, I like to call them. PR was sort of the afterthought. You come up with the big idea as the ad agency and then the PR team executes Uh against that. And now I would say it doesn't make sense to spend money on anything that doesn't have the ability to be amplified through public relations. Right. So yes, and we're, we have an incredible roster of clients and uh, brands and, and individuals and we love working with Craig and his brands. And it's really interesting when you're working with experts in particular, because you can see the impact of that, especially now that everybody's looking for expert voices and ways to basically know what the right thing to do is. And people care about their health more than ever. So our business has been pretty great this year, given the givens. I mean, it doesn't not without its challenges, of course, but we've been really lucky because the content's super relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and because people are caring more about their health and wellness than ever before, what have you seen specifically shift in the wellness space during this pandemic? Are there specific things or is it more just that people are more open and willing to invest in their well-being? Because I personally, in my business have seen a shift where people no longer um, avoid prevention. <laughs> They're much more um, available to that conversation and to the idea that prevention is is just as important as you know eating healthy food and enjoying fun movement and playful movement and meditating and doing all the things once you're sick. It's 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 like shifted a bit. So I'm curious what you're seeing with with the companies that you're working for and what you're predicting to be kind of this evolution for next year going into 2021. Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I definitely agree with you that for the first time, people are 
feeling empowered with their health. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we have such a huge problem with our medical system in the U.S., which has always been about solving problems versus getting to the root of the problem. Basically, it's a Band-Aid. So, I, you know, we all have our different philosophies about, about how we approach our own health. But I'm definitely much more of a, let's get to the bottom of this mm-hmm. and really address it for the long haul versus taking quick fix prescription medications and things that are going to make me feel better in the moment. I mean, I'm, I'm extreme for sure, but, mm-hmm. um, but this is what's exciting about now is that people realize that they don't want to get COVID or if they do that, they want to manage it as, as well as humanly possible. And that means boosting your immune system. And that means, thinking differently about what it means to get a good night of sleep. And it means all these things, which those of us who are obsessed with this space have been doing already, but so many, finally we're seeing the mass population pay attention in ways that will have long-term effects. So the, the businesses we're working with, many of them, their products are spot on so because they're either proactively keeping you healthy and strong or they're, helping boost your immune system or the doctors we're working with have advice specific to making sure that you're proactively taking care of your health. And for, again, for many of us, that's information may be stuff we've been hearing for years, but you start to realize how people need to hear it many more times. And, mm-hmm. and the, again, the mass population hasn't had access to some of that basic info. So it's, I'd say in terms of where it's all going, I mean, obviously there's some very sort of practical trends in terms of people really focusing on their e-commerce business and subscription businesses and figuring out ways to make it as easy as possible for people to get their products and mm-hmm. content. Um, mm-hmm. But then I do think the way people are communicating with consumers is changing too. And we're just, I feel like consumers are a lot more, we've, we've seen for years that consumers want to connect with a brand and a brand ethos. And, but now because we're living in a time of fear and uncertainty, those Mm -hmm. brand stories and the brand credibility and the humans behind the brands, those are more valuable than ever. People actually want to connect with what a brand is about if they're going to trust them, especially for health and wellness stuff. So I think what we're seeing a lot of changes in terms of how brands are communicating and how consumers are receiving that and, and the media plays a huge role in that. I mean, it's it definitely the landscape has changed again. We're seeing more of a call for expert voices than ever. Um, and at the end of the day, thankfully, we're seeing the, the brands and experts can sort of work hand in hand to deliver both the products and the information in a way that's that's useful. But people are consuming more and more of this content through. Mm-hmm media. So it's, again, it's a huge opportunity and it's, it'll be interesting to see how things evolve. I pray we can have back to real life activations and engagements next year, but who knows when that's actually going to happen. So right now we're really focused on virtual everything. Mm. Yeah. There was an interesting quote that Max Lugavere posted, who I know you've worked with as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wrote, um, access to quality 
access to quality healthcare is important, but does not make a healthy nation. And that really stuck out to me because as you're saying, we can continue to band-aid the problem or we can step into more of an empowered role, specifically as a consumer and specifically as those who are taking in all this content and saying, okay, well, if I can't necessarily show up to my doctor's office and get more than five minutes of a conversation and, and a prescription, what do I actually need to do to manage my symptoms, to heal my symptoms, and then to also prevent potential consequences, right, in the future of chronic sickness. And so um, I definitely have seen that responsibility role shift where people are no longer um, in the victim energy and more into the like empowered, well, if I can't rely on the healthcare system, I'm going to take responsibility. And then what's mm-hmm. cool is I'm starting to see a lot of a lot of shifts. We're seeing that with, with a lot of membership models in terms of functional medicine and integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that these these prices continue to come down, which is a conversation you and I had a while ago about the inequalities and the disparities and the barriers in the health in the health system. It's 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 crazy. Um, and we were discussing that that shift needs to happen as well in terms of access. Um, and I'm curious for you know for the listeners if if we were to create a model and and just your thoughts on this in terms of getting this content out to more of the masses, um, we're seeing it happen because everything's virtual now and, and, and a lot of things are going viral, but are you seeing any models for that that are working really well or anyone that's doing that really well in your, in your practice or ways that people could support really creating more of this movement um, nationally and internationally too? Well, first of all, yes. I mean, I definitely, you know, I'm passionate about this and Mm -hmm. I feel like there's such a need for all of us to be focused on how we spread the word, not only about healthy products, but about content that can be useful and practical for people. Mm -hmm. It's funny, you know, of course, it's a great thing that people are empowered to take charge of their health and and have access to more information and are, are really taking this into their own hands. That said, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has gotten myself into trouble with Googling and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what, <laughs> what I'm dealing with at any given moment. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, and you know, you don't, in some ways you don't want to be responsible for mm-hmm. having to self diagnose, you know, All, and, and that is the hard part. I think telehealth mm-hmm. has made a huge difference. I feel like people are, taking advantage of their healthcare and or the system more than ever because of that, because of the access Mm -hmm. and people who might not have gotten up and gone to the doctor, which is always a big pain, might be willing to do a telehealth appointment to address something before it becomes a bigger problem. So I hope that that's a positive shift. Um, You know, I I think in general, again, it comes back to content and the content, Mm -hmm. part of what, what really has more of a mainstream potential is simple, basic, practical tips. Mm. You know, again, you know, I, we, we worked with Dr. Mark Hyman and he wrote a book called food. What the heck do you eat? And this mm-hmm. was breaking down a lot of myths around food health, what is and isn't healthy from a food standpoint. So what does it mean for something to be low fat or low sugar or, Cat or sugar-free or natural flavors, all these things that we might, may or may not be grappling with. Um, and, and again, those of us that have been obsessed with the health world may already know the answers to a lot of these things. But for the masses, 
a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff is new and and helpful and you and broken down in a way that's simple and kind of indisputable. And I think that's so the the and from a delivery system standpoint, I think again the media is is packaging things in ways that are really easy and turnkey and and straightforward. And so we oftentimes for our experts or even the brands we're working with, we'll get inquiries around what are the five top things you need to do to boost your immunity? You know, some like very simple turnkey information. And I think we all need to think like that. You know, I mean, I I even think about that personally when I'm saying to my family here that if you're just going to do three things right now to take care of yourselves during this crazy time, here are the three things Um, Mm -hmm. versus inundating with tons and tons of information and trying to educate them about things that they're never really going to fully register. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I've been thinking about that too, just from even shopping for holiday gifts. Like what are the things that I can give that would empower them to just do one thing Mm. differently? And so it's been, it's been an interesting (laughs) mindset shift around Christmas because I'm like the things that people might like really want are different than what they probably need right now. And so I'm like, I'm like getting my parents, like Tony Robin, they're at date with destiny right now. And they're, they were so resistant to go, but it's been so good for their mental health. Cause they're like inspired again and jumping and dancing and, and, you know, two seven year old parents that are like jumping up and down right now with Tony as we speak. So I'm just rethinking some of these, these ways that we can empower people from a mental mental health perspective, emotional health perspective, physical health. And, and like, even if they don't read the book, if it sits on their desk for, you know, for a couple months before they open it, like at some, at some point, you know, my hope is that just presenting them with these, these different products and books and different access points that you offer through all of your um, amazing experts, it will, it will support them in, in, at some point, right. When they're, when they're ready for it. So, um, that's been kind of my mission this, this holiday season with getting, getting things out there where, where like, there could be some resistance, but it's, it's it's better than some of the things I could be sending, sending my parents right now. So awesome though. I love that you're doing that and that you're thinking about gifting that way, because it's true. I mean, first of all, as much as I wish I had a reason to dress up and wear cute things. And I mean, maybe for an occasional zoom, but, Mm -hmm. but I wish that we were living that life, but we're not. And we know that health is the most important thing right now. And it's the only thing we can actually sort of take charge of. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think that's really fun. And I mean, I couldn't be more into the fact that your parents are on date with destiny. That is the greatest (laughs) story ever. Yeah, it's been fun. They're like, I call them like Tony's talking and they hang out. It's like, it's really cute. But I was, I wanted to transition into this idea of surrender because something you just mentioned about the fact that like our health really is the only thing we have control over in this moment. I think it's really important that we start to really be in this, the acceptance and surrender. I think so often we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And now that we don't have much control, our health and our wellness is one thing we can take control of, but a lot of other things we don't have a timeline for. I was talking to my therapist the other day and I was I was getting really frustrated because I was like, I can't tap into my intuition like normal. Like I can't get a sense of what's going to happen. And he's like, well, it's because we don't have 
a timeline. Like we don't, there's so many timelines that could play out right now. And so give yourself some grace that you're not feeling intuitively into exactly what the next steps are. But when I was going through your book, I saw this chapter on surrender and I thought it was such a beautiful transition to talk about because that's kind of what we're in right now. And I feel like with what's what you're currently in with with COVID, it's it's like a really, really hard thing to accept and be in the surrender of this year. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and then dive into more of these different mindset shifts in terms of femininity that you have laid out so beautifully in the feminine revolution. Yes. I mean, surrender in general might be one of the hardest things for me because mm. I am a self-proclaimed control freak. And in the book, we create space for being controlling and for surrendering in two separate chapters because both of them are actually considered feminine in in the negative sort of way but in truth are two of our superpowers and it's and you know the overall premise of the book is taking the idea that femininity and historically considered feminine qualities our weaknesses and turning that on its head to show that these parts of ourselves that we might be holding back or ashamed of because they've been too feminine um, are actually our strengths and we should be leaning into them and, and fully accepting ourselves and showing, allowing ourselves to show up in an authentic way. So, um, so when it comes to surrender, there's no question that, for, again, for me, I'm just wired in a way where I've always been a bit type A and want to control whatever I can. Um, and I read the surrender experiment, which I just could not recommend enough if you haven't read it. But um, I read that book a number of years ago and really changed the way I thought on a minute to minute basis. Cause I can, we can all feel in ourselves when we're holding on too tight or whether we're, when we're getting that energy of like feeling, you know, sometimes it's feeling trapped or afraid or any number of things. And actually surrender is the solution because if you can just let go and go, I truly have no control over this. I mean, if anything, as it pertains to the overall pandemic, and definitely, yes, in this moment, as I'm knocking this virus out of my body, um, I really, the like in the first two weeks, I realized the things that are my normal coping mechanisms for living, I had no access to. So I, whether that's going out to dinner with friends, or whether that's going to take a dance class, or whether that was spending time with my family. I mean, these are all things that were literal. Oh, I'm sorry. Or planning a trip. That is very high on the list. All the things that would be the first thing I would do to help manage my stress. I could do none of them. So it was really, I had no choice. I realized at that moment that I had to just basically reinvent the way I thought about this whole period. And I mean, in the, I'm sure you remember in the beginning, we thought it was going to be two weeks and that seemed unbearable. It seemed totally impossible that we were going to be able to stay home for two weeks, which I find so ironic eight and a half months later. But yeah, but, but I mean, the truth is surrender is a very feminine thing in many ways and historically has been perceived as a weak thing because, because 
the strong sort of masculine approach would be to wrangle something to the ground, you know, and not, and, and not to quote unquote give in, but you realize quickly that surrender is the most powerful thing really. And that especially in these moments, there's no one that could wrangle this particular situation to the ground. And so the, the less energy you're putting against it and the more acceptance and the more sort of, as you said, grace that you can move through this with, in the end, that's the win. And, you know, if I, as many, we've all had ups and downs throughout of all of this. And over the many months, I've had moments of feeling optimistic and hopeful and others feeling just completely fed up and over it. And you have to create space for all of that because it's, we're human, you know, this isn't about trying to be or feel something that is not authentic to you. But the reality is that that you get to choose in every moment where you're investing your energy. And so I've really found that letting go of the way I thought the world was, and then trying to create a new world in the context of this bizarre 2020 has been my, my approach, you know, everything from sitting out in the garden and watching the birds and actually realizing what a gift that is. You know, just simple, simple moments and pleasures of like, but calm, calm, like letting go moments where you, you know, if you're feeling like, oh, you know, and I work, my business, of course, has very, a number of stressful things, whether it's managing employees or whether it's clients that are unhappy, which is, of course, totally normal, or whether it's um, just moments where things go wrong. And I just, I, I feel like, my ability now to surrender to these things and take responsibility and just accept them for what they are has made me so much more powerful and effective on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned how you can do both. I think a lot of people feel like it's one or the other. It's like, I'm either this highly sensitive person that just accepts and surrenders to all that is. And I kind of, you know, shut out my own dreams or I'm this like type A push through charge kind of workaholic. And I love that they're not mutually exclusive of one another. And I love how you define that. I'm curious what the other, so there's the surrender and then what's the other, the other title for the- Oh, be controlling. Be controlling. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because the chapters are really about leaning into these, again, stereotypical feminine- traits. So, I mean, of course we've all been told, well, not all of us, maybe no, there's certain people out there that have never been called controlling, but if, if I've been called controlling, it was never in a complimentary way. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, but now, you know, it's about hearing that differently and, and looking at it differently, even if it's just a conversation you're having with yourself where you're going, I'm, I'm really holding on tight here. I'm being a control freak instead of judging yourself in that moment, go, okay, well, you know what? Maybe you are, but maybe there's something that's positive about that. The fact mm-hmm. that you are a control freak is why all the details are taken care of. That's why things don't slip through the cracks. It's why your clients hire you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so so they don't have to control these things. So, you know, you kind of realize so much of it's a lens and we're all a balance of masculine and feminine. And that's a good thing. And every one of us would have a totally unique definition of femininity. And that is also a good thing. So it's not about trying to, to be something you're not or define things in a new way. I mean, lots of women have a negative 
response to the word feminine or femininity Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it feels like a quote unquote step back or, you know, they don't want to be labeled that way. But the truth is these labels exist and these qualities have been labeled this in these ways for many, many years and have been reinforced by societal behaviors and conversations. And so what this is about is breaking that down so that we can show up in the way that we are and that in the grand scheme of things, we can create a more balanced approach to everything, whether that's leadership, whether that's definition of power, is it will always be its best when it is a balance of masculine and feminine. Mm. And mm. I mean, never before have we seen, in my opinion, such a need for it whether that's right. politically or in terms of business leadership and the, just the way we're, we're man, even in the conversation we were having earlier about, about how brands can show up for consumers, you know, mm-hmm. it's about a more connected, aligned kind of way of being and communicating. And, and really that's where the feminine comes in. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that explanation. And, and, you know, in my work, it's really about, cultivating the self-love. And when we cultivate the self-love, then we embrace these unique qualities that we have. And so I love how you're defining them and offering that they're unique and, and can be these empowering qualities that, that help you. And, um, it's interesting. I've seen where, when we, when we're told like, oh, you're too sensitive or you're, you're too controlling, then we often use food (laughs) to manage that experience because we're like, oh my gosh, how could I be too? And then whatever your label was or the Mm. label that they placed on you. And so, so many women that I work with then use food to manage that experience because they feel unaccepted and they Mm. feel like this quality that they have is, um, is not, you know, accepted and that it might be unique to them, but, but they're almost like shaming and shitting on that, that expression. And so the work really is about cultivating the self-love so that we can embrace those qualities. And like you said, flip the narrative to like, what are, what are the gifts that I'm getting from, from this quality or from this emotion that I'm experiencing or from crying or for, from having this breakdown or whatever, whatever is showing up for you in that, in that moment. And so I love this book because I think it's for my clients, it's a gateway into really identifying these traits that, that will help them and serve them. Well, thank you. And yes, that is really the key. It's, Mm -hmm. it's really is about self-love and self-acceptance. And, you know, it's interesting. Some of it seems so simple, but, but the truth is women have a unique gift of beating ourselves up for everything. And so Mm -hmm. that is why in some cases, it really is about looking at things in a new way and having the tools to kind of cut it off at the knees when you start beating yourself up over something, or even when someone else is, you know, either mm-hmm. judging you or labeling you, or you're doing this to yourself. And and again, the only way you have the tools to do that is if you actually can see the other side of it. So, I mean, certainly, we again, we each have our own versions of it, but you mentioned sensitivity. I mean, I have been called sensitive from a young age by my mom. And I don't think it was in a complimentary way. And, um, you know, and I'm for so for many years, I wouldn't say I was ashamed of that. But I thought it was maybe a bit of an issue. And then, especially working in big corporate 
jobs mm-hmm. in New York, I had to toughen up. And I, that was my mm-hmm. perception at least. And I had to be less sensitive and I couldn't cry. And these were things that were critical to my success if I was going to quote unquote thrive in a man's world. And it's funny because I look at the implications of this and, and really in the end, that was the impetus for wanting to write this book. I felt like I had developed this armor and this toughness Mm -hmm. that wasn't really authentic. And it's not to say that the directness and assertiveness and some of the toughness that is authentic to me and it's been developed and it's a part of me now. And I'm grateful because those are super useful qualities in my work. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the real me is also mush. I'm Mm -hmm. super sensitive and emotional and I'm a crier and now I can actually say I'm proud of those things and that that is, I can see, you know, my sensitivity as the example is what allows me to sense what a client is saying in a meeting and actually address it. Or when I walk into the office, when we're allowed to walk into the office, that is, mm-hmm. but when I walk into the office and I can tell something's up, I sense something's up with one of my employees, I can go talk to them and figure out what I can do about it. So the sensitivity is truly a superpower. And instead of only looking at the other side of it, which is the, what people would say, taking things too personally, you know, my sensitivity is what allows me to have more insight and more clarity about people and situations. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't trade that for the world. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, so much of it was about like allowing myself to look at it that way and, and then reframe it so that now in those moments where I might even think I'm being a little too sensitive, I mean, sure, maybe I am, but maybe there's an upside to it. Right. Right. And then being grateful for that upside. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the biggest one is the intuition piece. It took me so many years to just trust myself mm-hmm. because everyone's like, you're crazy. You're woo woo. You, you, know, you, <laughs> you sleep with crystals next to your bed, you, you know, you have EMF blockers and everything. And I was like, I am that girl. Like, so yes. like, I'm, you know, and like now there's no need to apologize for it. It's just like, this is, this is who I am. And I am embracing it and loving myself through it. And my intuition is to, to, to protect myself from, from my computer. So like, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, and just like being in that truth of like something feels off and I'm going to, to follow that voice, even if I don't have the logical proof for it. And I think that's also the difference between the feminine and the masculine quite a bit is like my husband wants the logic. He wants the proof behind that, that hit, that voice that I'm getting. And I've, it's taken years to, to allow myself to just be like, this is my knowing and and this is my truth and this is how I'm going to show up. And I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable because mm-hmm. <laughs> you get to do the work in your discomfort when I'm stepping in my intuition. So um, for me, that's been the biggest one. I'm, I'm curious if there were any other um, other ones of the 21 ways that you that you write about that really showed up this year for you during the pandemic that you'd be called to share. I mean, well, first of all, I love that you are leaning into your intuition. I really feel like everybody should be doing that. That is, I mean, we, men and women, we all have strong intuition and it is about cultivating it and relying on it. And, and, you know, of course, when we're making big decisions, we're not only using our intuition because we're gathering other key information that's useful, but I just, 
feel like we're the most effective if we can just trust our gut. And I try to really cultivate that in my employees as well, because if they're not doing that, it's abundantly clear to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually mm-hmm. it's working against them. So, right. um, right. so I couldn't, I could go on and on about that. Um, I mean, I don't know, this is not specific to this time. Um, but for another one that for me has been consistently very true is around crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because I think that's probably on paper, the one that's hardest to initially understand how crying can be powerful. Mm-hmm. But, but the truth is, it is. And I mean, I've done my fair share of crying this year. So I don't think I've, I don't, I haven't cut back if anything. Yeah. I probably added a little extra crying into the mix, but I, I do think, you know, especially in the context of work, people think is literally the worst thing you could do is cry in the workplace. And the reality is that is not the problem. First of all, every time anyone cries, it is a moment of being human. And by the way, that is okay. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I hope today I burst into tears in my boss's office. Mm. It is completely mm. a human reaction to a situation. And we, we again, speaking of be- beating ourselves up about things, why are we beating ourselves up for having a human moment? We shouldn't be. The issue with the crying isn't the crying itself. It's how everybody reacts to the crying. So in the, let's imagine a scenario where a boss is giving a performance review to an employee and the employee is not happy with something that went down during this performance review and starts to cry. What typically happens is the employee panics because they're crying and excuses themselves the boss doesn't know what to do and they end up walking away, not understanding each other. But the, what could have been a real win in that scenario is if the employee is able to say, the reason I'm getting emotional right now is because I really care about this job and I was expecting Mm -hmm. a raise and what do I need to do in order for that to happen? Or if the boss simultaneously is able to say, Hey, Let's get to the bottom of what's making you feel this way because we really value you and we want you to be happy. And if there's something that you need to communicate, I'm all ears. You know, this is, it opens the lines of communication, has the potential to, but people really have to embrace it that way instead of having this gut visceral reaction to the fact that the crying is so traumatic, you know, it really can bring people together. I mean, even during the pandemic, honestly, I don't know. I mean, certainly writing this book in general helped me feel more comfortable with just showing myself to people. But I definitely have an issue, which is that people perceive me to be invincible because I've obviously made everyone feel that I am not, I don't have these vulnerabilities, which is so bizarre considering the way I see myself, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely mm-hmm. have realized the importance of when I'm feeling down, sharing that and opening up and feeling like that's, it's, and I have to share it, not in a way that's like, I'm feeling sad, but I've got it all under control kind of way, which is an easy thing to do, right? It's like, you can sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes I will literally communicate something that I feel is very vulnerable 
but it's not received that way because of the way I'm presenting it. And I must Mm -hmm. still somehow be communicating that it's all dialed, you know, even Mm -hmm. if that's not how I feel. Um, so I think being vulnerable and, and just generally like during the pandemic and beyond, like, that's how we stay real with each other, you know, and that's how we maintain these real connected relationships, even if we're not spending as much time with other humans. And if that includes crying, fine, you know, maybe my tears are my way of actually showing people the extent of the problem since I can't seem to communicate that with words. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I, I love that because I've heard that there's a lot of research and science behind crying Mm. and how it is actually clearing yourselves of trauma. Mm. There's like the actual physical release. I mean, when mammals are in trauma, they shake out of their bodies. They shake, they shake the trauma out and we don't do that as humans. And so we suppress and push it down and push it down and push it down. And so when we allow ourselves to actually cry, then we, we get this clearing and, and I believe on an energetic level and a spiritual level and a physical level that it allows us to heal because it's it's the process of letting go. When we let go, we create space for for new. So um, once I heard that, it, it like really shifted that wall for me. Um, and since then, I've been like crying on the floor of my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's like in the shower on the floor, just laying there in the. Us. And I'm like, this is good for me. I'm just going to let this, <laughs> let this happen. You know, it's like, it's like, obviously there's, there's a balance, a balance for it. But, um, but yeah, I love, I, I love what you said. And I love how you, how you talked about how, um, we really get to free ourselves by showing people who we truly are. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful aspects of genuine friendship and being in a really beautiful partnership and also being in a career where you have that space and that, that connection with those around you to really be who you are and be able to show up as, as you are, because when we don't, we're suppressing again, part of ourselves. And often that's because of shame, I think. And, and I think there's a lot of guilt around that, but, but then we free, we get to, we get to be completely free. Um, and then we no longer use the addictions and the food and the other things to numb the parts of ourselves that are unexpressed. Um, and and when we do that, we get to cultivate more and more of that every time we show more of ourselves. <laughs> but I know it takes courage, right? It's, it's so like, true. It's like so those, true. Those courageous steps of 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 showing up for for yourself. So yeah, I um I wanted to close with like any last words, any like last things you're working on that feel really inspiring or I know, I know your company is just like taking off. I know all, like the health and wellness company is just like, is like taking off. I know you're working with so many of my friends right now, which is so incredible. Um, but is there anything else you're currently working on? I know you're still doing lots of talks for your book, but any exciting things coming up? Well, you know, I think, I, yes, I mean, busy, super busy with work and thinking about projects that where I can actually make an impact beyond the stuff we're doing with our clients. Um, you know, really for me, one of the things I've been able to, and it, it, it was kind of a mindset thing from the very beginning of COVID. Actually, I listened to this Kabbalah recording where he talked about the fact that, that so many, it was actually a couple different points. One of them was around the fact that we, 
they have this thing called the proactive formula, which is the opposite of reacting. So in situations where you normally react, you take a step back and you think about where you can be proactive. And that was helpful, again, for the control freak that is me, um, trying to figure out places where I could actually continue to be proactive. And the second part of this message was around how so many of the world's biggest ideas came from really rough times. Mm. And so that was inspiring because it got me into a mode of creating from the very beginning. And so we rebranded the company and I start I got back to doing some more short form writing which I hadn't done for a while and and then I've just generally been excited to take on creative projects wherever possible. So my friend Sheila, one of my dearest friends who happens to live two doors down from me, is an incredible artist and has an Instagram page called Sketch Poetic. And she mm-hmm. actually has a book coming out next year and it's going to be epic. Super excited about that. Um, but she has this 21 day sketching program where you basically, I mean, we all know this concept that 21 days you form a habit, but this is an opportunity to sketch and release basically. I mean, God knows we all have a lot to release right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and without judgment and, and you're not sketching specific things, you're literally going deep into your unconscious and letting it out. So um, I really enjoyed doing that. And now if I'm having moments where I'm feeling like I'm super in my head or uneasy for some reason, sometimes the sketching is the perfect thing to do, but I really recommend it. And I, I will just say it was just a, a nice break. Now you can't judge your sketches. I mean, maybe you're a great artist, but I, no. I was literally like Sheila, I am sure my fifth grade version of myself would be horrified looking at these sketches right now, because I think whatever I was doing in fifth grade was substantially better, but that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. So I, (laughs) as long as you can go in without any judgment, I highly recommend it. I love that too, because I think it's really important for us to make a conscious effort to start the healing process now for what this year has been. I think we've we're not going to know necessarily all of the impact that this year has had until we're kind of back into life, right? And hopefully Mm. life opens back up. But I think if we wait and we have that belief system, which is so often I'll do the healing later, right? (laughs) Or or I'll just wait until things open back up. Then we're, I kind of, it just, it just feels like we're kind of, um, mismanaging our opportunity right now to, to really step into the healing process and really regulate our nervous systems and get some of this out of our subconscious. Because like you said, I was really naive to this. I thought, I thought it was two weeks. I remember canceling my birthday party and being like, at the end of March, I'll throw it again. And that was, (laughs) that was the, the belief system. And then, you know, and then it was a month and another month and another month. And I don't think we've We've all taken, I know I haven't taken the time to 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 go in and really mourn the loss of this year and what it's been. And um, that's been one of my goals going into 2021 is to really take the next couple months and 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 really dig up what this year has meant and and mourn it and forgive what needs to be forgiven and let a lot of, you know, a lot of what I haven't done go and mm-hmm. um, look back and say, you've done a lot and be really grateful for what, for, for what blessings have come. But I think from a spiritual perspective, we're always like be in the present and look forward. And 
I, I've kind of shifted that the last couple of days where I'm like, wow, I really need to look back on this year and and do the healing through it. So I love that. And I will definitely link link that below so people can um, people can dive into that work as well. And so thank you for being here and just showing up during, <laughs> during this pandemic while you have COVID. I'm, <laughs> I'm like so grateful. I was like, we can reschedule. We can definitely reschedule, no. but I'm, I'm so glad that we, we did it. And, um, thank you for your wisdom. If people want to find you, where's the best place to do that? On Instagram, Amy K Stanton. And then our work website is stanton-company.com. Um, and thank you so much. I always love our conversations. I just think the world of you and I'm always so inspired by the work you're doing and the way you bring people together. And I just, I feel very, very grateful. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And you can buy the feminine revolution on Amazon. I have a copy next to my bed and I've been diving into it and loving it. So definitely go there and grab that. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. And I appreciate the extra plug. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What an inspiring, motivating and uplifting conversation. I trust that this time has given each of us a new outlook on embracing the parts of ourselves that have been perceived to be a sign of weakness. As Amy shared, stepping into this feminine revolution is about embracing the feminine qualities within ourselves and often pushing against the messages we receive from society. Maybe you too have been told that you take things too personally or you are too sensitive. Maybe you've been told that you are too controlling. Maybe you've been told that you should trust your logic over your intuition. Today, I invite you to sit quietly with yourself for a few moments and reflect on who you would be and how you would show up if there was absolutely no judgment. Think back over this past month. When have you held back tears? When have you not trusted your gut? When have you wanted to surrender to what is but felt it was a sign of weakness? As Amy shared, let's push back against these societal norms. And this starts with us embracing our uniqueness and cultivating that inner self-love. And by doing this, we cultivate a powerful, strong, and unique energy where we can show up for ourselves and live our best lives. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I truly believe this is a topic and a conversation that we can all benefit from. If you enjoyed today's episode, I trust that you will also love my podcast with Oren Harris as we discussed important mindset shifts to help you tap into your infinite potential. Also, drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating with you. What do you want to hear more about and how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? You can find me on the gram at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love, a massive virtual hug, and I trust that you will have an incredible week ahead. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you, but hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it, but you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.